Welcome to another podcast from the Embodiment Project. I'm Matthew Vanderhusen. Today I'm bringing you another contribution from the project's weekly seminars. For those of you who are used to a taste of the seminars in the form of 10-minute body meditations, today's offering is the full meal deal. At 45 minutes long, it's a rich mix of science and embodiment practices, a deep dive focused on our experience of our most primal need to breathe, and how breath can function as a bridge between the conscious mind and the body. Enjoy. Today is the natural end of our breath series. And we've been slowly shifting into understanding sort of the, what allows breathing to happen, starting with that central place of the lungs. And, and so this last bit is really part of uh, the week where we look at the edges of breathing. And so today we're really going to spend more time looking at the physiology of breathing, how, how we breathe, and perhaps uh, a way of putting it is why we breathe. We start to breathe from the moment that we emerge into the world. And why do we do that? Because the need for oxygen and nutrients that's been coming through the umbilicus now is not there or is not soon not going to be there. And so before that dries up, we need to start to do it for ourselves. And breathing is the thing that gets that part of our needs in um, is that whole thing about kind of getting the oxygen in. And as we'll see, a little bit more than that. And of course, when we come to the end of our life, the ending piece is our last breath. You know, it's kind of like the thing that, that says, ah, it's over. You know, we finally let that breath out. And in between those two experiences, we move into a world where there is more stimulus. And really in the end, breathing is about how we moderate or, or manage that experience of stimulus. So we need to have the oxygen to burn the fuel that allows us to be present and energized and function in life. But there is more to it at a more nuanced level which is that it also moderates our ability to interact with life. If you just take a moment to turn your attention inward, I find it's usually easiest if you close your eyes, and to just take a moment to notice the fact of your breathing. Like, how do you know that you're breathing? And just to see what are the sensations that identify your breath in this moment for you. Now, one of the things that you might notice is by the very act of bringing your attention to your breathing, there's a shift in your breathing.
And this is one of the most essential pieces of what breathing does, that because it's tied to the autonomic nervous system's ability to moderate charge levels, which is related to awareness that we just brought to it, that as you bring more awareness, there's an increase of electrical signals going through your nervous system that are part of that quickening of awareness and your breathing adjusts just to the fact of it being noticed because there's a change in stimulus levels. There's this, there's this baseline that says that breathing, uh, when it's observed in a lab, for example, is about well, 12 breaths per minute in an adult. One of the things that you might notice if you were to take some time and, and uh, if you had a chance to watch somebody perhaps in your, your household or somewhere out in public breathing, you might notice that breathing is quicker than that. And it can be often up to like 25 or 30 breaths per minute. And part of that quickened breathing is the fact that we always need to retain a similar a volume of oxygen and, as it turns out, carbon dioxide in the blood. And so to maintain the proper balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide, our breathing, when we're depressing it a bit, naturally quickens how many times it's going to breathe. So there's this constant shift that's happening. The more we breathe in, in just this moment, it's likely that the slower the respiratory rate. And so what this tends to show us is that there's this constant moderation of our experience of how we're interacting with the world. As we go more internal, but we're thinking of something. So for example, if you were thinking of counting backward from 22 by threes, and if you just bring your attention to that for a moment, you might notice that your breathing gets affected by that that there's a quieting of your breathing as you bring more focus into mental attention and that bringing of focus onto something which doesn't have a sensory piece to it has a tendency to still breathing, to still the sensory piece so that we can do that mental processing more. And so this is one of the important ways in which this function of breathing actually responds to the shifts in our focus between the thinking part of ourselves. So if you have a whole bunch on your mind, then there's going to be a whole bunch more brain function. When it gets really active, we sometimes call it the monkey mind. And that as we do that and bring more attention to our thinking, there's going to be a natural quelling of body awareness as the cortex, the cerebral cortex, and all its related functions comes into ascendancy. And so we are naturally losing 
awareness of our body. And so as you bring more attention to the sensations that tell you that you are breathing, there will be a tendency for that awareness to shift more into the body and therefore you start to get a shift in your breathing that matches that need to process more stimulus, to have a little bit more charge happening in your awareness. So that's the first really important piece to get, is that your breathing is constantly at a deep autonomic nervous system, at an unconscious level, adjusting to what's happening. So we have receptors that come from different areas of our body, receptors uh, in our blood system, and I'll get a little more specific about that in the moment, but near the heart and, and up in, in the, the arteries in the neck, um, that are reading the stretch receptors and the, and the muscle spindles in the muscles around the lungs, and also the stretch that happens within the lungs themselves. As all those sources of information come in, they come into this part of the lower brain. If, if you were to feel in, in your, your neck, just at the place where your neck disappears and, and goes into the whole occipital area, just up in there is where we start to get to these respiratory centers in the medulla and the pons. And it's so important uh, or so vulnerable as it comes just into that area that if you get like a real sharp hit right back there It can actually interrupt your breathing or stop it if that if the um, brainstem is uh, in, injured there uh, And a person can can die from from the stopping of their breath. So the the lowest part the medulla is very uh, important for the basic function of breathing so like really the roughness of just the fact that our breath comes in and out. And then the centers in the pons that are related to breathing start to take information from all these various sources and to start to um, mix it so that the breath has a chance to respond um, smoothly with that. And there are two major sources that read the um, blood chemistry part, which is the balance between carbon dioxide and oxygen. And the one that is closest to the midbrain are, are the, um, the, the cisterns where the cerebral spinal fluid that goes around the spinal cord and also all the way around the brain. It's, a, it's kind of this nutrient circulating um, fluid because it draws from the blood at that place in the brain to create the cerebral spinal fluid, what it reads is the carbon dioxide level in the cerebral spinal fluid. So that's its primary place of reading. And that becomes a really important piece of modulating what's happening in the autonomic nervous system. Because one of the things that uh, the, the increase in carbon dioxide does in the blood is it starts triggering a lot of things that we recognize as um, relaxation response. So the opposite, for example, would be that if you have a low amount of carbon dioxide, you actually get a higher level of irritability in your body, a tendency towards muscle spasms. And, uh, and so there are all those things that we uh, start to associate with 
getting um, ungrounded uh, start to happen right at a blood chemistry level. And a lot of that through the central nervous system and the autonomic nervous system that it, that it serves is, uh, is fed from carbon dioxide sensors that come through the, the brain. And, and this is like a very slow kind of it shifts our response. So it's not as quick to everyday uh, changes, but our, our state is what is moderated in that place by reading what's happening with the carbon dioxide levels in the, um, the cerebral spinal fluid. And then the reading that happens from the other blood sources, which are primarily in the size of your neck, just in the, around the carotid arteries where you can feel your pulse, is the place where there are sensors on either side that read both oxygen and carbon dioxide. And these uh, are much quicker to respond to the changes that happen. This is the kind of thing where, for example, when I asked you to bring your attention internal to your body, you get almost an immediate shift in what your breathing is doing. And so this becomes a really important place also of feeding what's happening into the autonomic part of our nervous system, that controlling, that just something just happens without us thinking about it. Now, as it so happens, when you get up into the cerebral cortex, above this whole area of, of the um, brainstem and the, and the midbrain, is that you can also, of course, override this by taking a bigger breath or through the actions of, in your skeletal muscles that I, you know, I want to reach out for something. And, and so with that action, I start stimulating the, um, the oxygen levels. Uh, by changing them, by making active actions with my arms, for example. And so this starts to intersect with that quieter um, regulating system of the autonomic nervous system. And so we, we have a really amazing intersect that happens between consciousness and unconscious responses that happens in the midbrain through um, regulating of the somatic nervous system, the, the acting on the, the breathing muscles, for example, and the receiving of information from uh, all the other muscles in the body. So our directed actions that happen and how that also comes and brings information and is also affected by information coming from the pons and the medulla. So this is like the first place that is really important for just getting how our body understands breathing. Now, when you take that back into your internal processes and watch your breathing, one of the things that you might notice is that if you pay attention to the sensations of your breath, that it's very easy to lose the awareness of your breath. That you might notice after a very short period of time, your attention goes somewhere else. And this is one of the reasons why bringing action, things that engage the cerebral cortex and therefore more of us, 
becomes really important is that, for example, if you're doing like a, a yoga breathing, perhaps like holding one nostril and breathing in and then out and then switching nostrils, uh, bringing breathing that, that is related to a full hatha yoga practice where you're going through movements, that as soon as you bring extra stimulus from the body and watch how your nervous system responds to that through your breath, then you start to have your breath engaged in everyday life in a way which is really important for consciousness and the function of breathing to interact with each other more fully. So the moment that you just sit quietly and watch your breathing, there's going to be a tendency for a lowering of those awarenesses, of those sensations, and of, therefore of that information. And we tend to shift away from noticing our breathing. Now, one of the reasons why this is, is the relationship between the stimulus thing that I was just talking about and grounding, or where does that charge go? So for example, if you were to bring your attention internally and, and to allow yourself to notice how you are where you're sitting, so the surfaces place, you know, where we start with our practices, how am I in this moment, how much do I know that my butt knows there's a chair there? And you may notice that just as you bring your awareness to a surface, that you might also pay attention to how does your breath make sense out of this. And sometimes you're going to notice that your breath makes a shift as you notice that extra piece of stimulus, even though it's just a quiet piece that's there, it's not a movement. And also you can feel that there's a response in your breathing. It goes, oh, well, when I feel this, I need to process that information and therefore I need to breathe a little bit differently than I was. And so that part of our, our mind that was disconnected from the body a bit, somewhere maybe up in the cerebral cortex, you know, somewhere in the past or the future is often where the cerebral cortex goes, then when you turn it to just being receptive, being present to those sensations of contact, you might notice that then your breath goes well in this case. I would shift my energy levels to be more present to that contact. And this is a very important piece of how breathing works. That if you were to sit and say, let me just breathe more and get bigger breaths in, take a big breath, we're often told, that often we don't have the amount of contact with surfaces that our nervous system needs for it to know, what am I going to do with this? And so to allow our nervous system to go into action that moves towards grounding, towards surfaces, like for example in a yoga practice, or just to quietly allow ourselves to feel a surface, like I'm sitting in a chair, becomes an important piece of what our breath is telling us about the stimulus and grounding balance in our body. How much can I handle the energy that's building up with the breath by 
having some sense that that energy then has somewhere to go. It's not just going to pool up and overwhelm my ability to function. And so this becomes part of why we pull in with our breathing. Why if you watch somebody sitting and thinking about something or reading a book or just looking out the window, you might notice that their breathing goes smaller and quicker is that there's, there's a lower need for oxygenation and carbon, carbon dioxide in the body and therefore we lower the amount of breath we're going to take in to handle that lower stimulus need and then we therefore balance that by taking shorter breaths to just get the minimal that we need for this moment in. But if you're going to be more present to your environment, to be more engaged, then you're going to start to feel the breath start to move and open up and slow at the same time. Now, this engagement of breathing with our environment is really important for this whole embodiment practice. So, for example, I have here in my hand this, this bit of soapstone carving and what, I, what happens is if I reach out for the soapstone and I pick it up, the weight of it in my hand is going to be more or less available to me to the extent that I notice how much it affects my breathing. So if you pick up anything and just pick it up and move it around, you're likely screening out a decent amount of the sensations of what it's like in this moment. It's one of the reasons why we can be in a rush in the morning to get some things done and pick a, a cup off, off a shelf and not hold it quite right and it falls. And, and so these kinds of slips are slips that happen because we don't have all the information that our nervous system needs. Our mind is a little bit somewhere else. And where do we get that information from? By noticing what is actually happening when we contact that cup, all the little nuances of the contact. And at the same time, allowing our breathing to be affected by it. So you'll notice there can actually be a little bit of a con conflict if you pick up something and really start to feel it you may actually notice if you bring your attention to your chest that it can actually bring an awareness of a bit more tension happening because of the habit that we have of stopping our breath from actually responding to the needs of this moment the higher stimulus needs of the moment where our stimulus is actually balanced by the, the contact by the grounding with this thing that it's engaged with and therefore the missing piece in that cycle is the third piece which is the breath to process that at the exact level that's needed and you can notice this in lots of different ways if if you have somebody in your who you want to be in contact with and you might notice sometimes that, say, with a child or with an animal, you're idly stroking them, and, but you're not really there or present to it. And you may have noticed this on the other side as well, that there are times when somebody touches you and you can feel there's a lack of presence in that touch. 
And so this is an extension of what we're talking about with picking up something and interacting with it, is the missing piece is the processing at a breathing level. And what breathing does is it allows that information to actually penetrate and affect the whole interaction process. And so that very important piece that happens with the pawns taking all that information and helping morph it becomes a really important part of not just our breathing being engaged in this moment, but our responses therefore becoming more sensitized that then allow us to take in more sensation. And that as we do that, there is much more of an engagement that I am affected by what I am affecting. That is essential for what the breath does. And so it can be a really useful place to notice your breathing as well, is when you are in contact with something. And this takes it from more than just a mechanical thing, like noticing what happens to my breathing when I pick something up that's about the stimulus, but it starts to show us why we can be changed by our yoga class. Why these things don't just kind of open up our muscles and help us stretch out, but that these practices actually allow us to move more fully into ourselves. So allowing yourself to feel the experience of life and from that place of experiencing it more fully, that is moderated by the breath, we then allow ourselves to engage more fully. And in that cycle of feeling, engaging, then allowing the processing of that information at deeper levels, which then allows that feeling and engaging to come more fully into the relationship is an essential piece of what breathing brings to us. So when we notice our breathing, one of the edges that happens with the noticing of our breathing is in the actual edges or stoppings that can happen around our breathing. So for example, I was talking about how if you were in just picking up and, and holding something and then really starting to kind of try to feel the sensations of it, I can feel already a bit of a buildup of tension in the muscles of my chest. And so there's a way in which the, the stopping of my breathing that my habit is doing that, that is shielding or, or um, filtering out the fullness of this sensory experience starts to show in the tensions that build up in the muscles that are affecting, in this case, upper chest breathing. And so you can also do that when you come and pay attention internally to your breath and you can notice that sometimes my breath, as I pull my attention inside, goes, oh, well, if you notice me, and if I am notice that I'm also got the sensations of sitting in this chair, that something starts to shift and adjust. But some things in your breathing that have been habitually held, 
you're going to feel that edge that we've explored in different places in our movement, in our engagement with surfaces, which is the edge where the thing that wants to move, the movement that wants to happen, meets up with the habit that stops it. That thing that in the muscular system we've been calling tension, the tension between those two forces. So to turn your attention inward to your breathing and to notice the sensations, not just of where breathing might be flowing like through your nostrils or you know that tells you that it's there, but also the places where perhaps you start to go, oh, and I can feel that this is a sensation of a restriction to my breathing. That just like dropping into the chair or touching an object, that you can feel into the sensations of that place of interaction between what wants to move and what's stopping it moving. And just like in any other place, you can feel into that edge of sensation. And by noticing it and being present to it, by breathing with those sensations around your own breathing experience, you may notice that there is starting to be a reorganization in that field. It's kind of like if you've ever looked at, at water flowing down a stream and as two parts of the water, maybe that have been separated by a rock, start to form together and you can see the turbulence between those two forces as they interact with each other. That's what you're looking at when you feel those sensations. And by just being present to that place of conflict and turbulence, that there is a smoothing, a reorganization that is coming from the enhanced intersect that's happening between those two forces until they feel each other more, so they interpenetrate each other more and come to an understanding of what actually is needed in this moment. And the breathing shifts in response to that. I want to come back to physiology for a moment and talk about the relationship between carbon dioxide and oxygen in our breathing. Carbon dioxide and its effect in breathing is much greater than we typically give attention to. There's actually science around this, uh, something that's called the, the Bohr effect, B-O-H-R, which is, which is that as uh, the, the gas levels change in our body, as, as for example, we, we get um, an increase in carbon dioxide, a, a reduction of oxygen, it will actually create an effect in our respiratory muscles that, um, that says to them, take in a bigger breath. And it, it, there will also be um, some reading of, uh, of what's happening around the heart. The heartbeat can change to start moving that oxygen more as well. So there's this relationship that happens between our breathing and the change in oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. Now, as carbon dioxide levels increase in the body, there's a tendency that then the, the red blood cells capacity to open up and 
to take in oxygen and to release it um, to, to, the, to the cells is enhanced. So there's a change, acidity changes in the blood, it affects the ability of the, of the cell and the plasma itself to become more um, receptive to oxygen and therefore to, to um, move the oxygen through the system and release it to the cells uh, more effectively. And so there's something really important about increasing the carbon dioxide levels in how it facilitates the movement of oxygen. The opposite can happen, for example, if we start taking a, a lot of big breaths and quicker breaths, and you may notice that, as I am already doing that, that already there's a little bit of lightheadedness that happens in, in the body. And as I have super oxygenated my system and reduced the amount of carbon dioxide, the oxygen is held in, in the cell more, and therefore this lightheadedness I'm getting is already a response to the fact that I'm not getting enough oxygen. And so this overwhelming of my system, because I'm not moving enough, I'm not grounding enough, to allow that charge to move where it needs to be means that that imbalance in the system where the oxygen can't be dispelled to be worked out through the cells by metabolism, it builds up and it therefore shuts down the whole system of transporting oxygen and gets held in the cells and you can't get it where you need it. It's one of the reasons why, for example, you know, if a person is uh, hyperventilating and, and they're starting to uh, lose awareness, consciousness, that uh, you take, say, lean over and take a, a paper bag and put it on your mouth because as you breathe into it, you're increasing the carbon dioxide that you're dispelling, comes back into your system, you're not getting as much oxygen through the paper bag, and therefore you start to get a balance in your system. And it can do all those things that happen with increased carbon dioxide with its relaxation response being affected, which is a person starts to calm, they start to be able to take slower and bigger breaths because now they actually need some oxygen and the brain starts to function better because now it's getting the oxygen that it needs. And everything starts to moderate itself again. So this balance between carbon dioxide and oxygen is extremely important and the, the pivot point for a lot of that control happens through carbon dioxide. So that we can see that not only does carbon dioxide as it's read from the cerebral spinal fluid mean that it allows us to kind of have a state of being that as it increases a bit more allows us to be more um, steady within ourselves, quieter, effect of the autonomic nervous system, but also it can help us in response to everyday moments by moderating the energy level that's available to the body, how much oxygen is going to get to the brain and of course to the muscle cells as well. Which brings us to a second reason why 
paying attention to the edges in your breathing can be really useful. So aside from feeling those edges, another way of noticing where breathing slows down and joining with it, because that's essentially what we're doing when we pay attention to the edges, is we're going, oh, this is what my breathing's actually doing. Let me join with, with my presence, that place where there's a restriction in my breathing and be more with it. So another way of describing that change, that inter mingling of the turbulence between what wants to move and what doesn't want to move is that in moving to be more present to what is in this moment with your breathing, even its restrictions, you move into being more there, more embodied with the truth of your experience in this moment. So if we take that idea and then start to notice our breathing as a, as a function of slowing down, then it becomes a really useful place to, to, um, to engage with our breathing. And so there are all kinds of practices that work with this, right from the early yogic practices, it, it talked about um, covering over one nostril and, and slowing your breath by breathing through that one side or another, by sitting at the top or the bottom of that breath for a count of a few seconds and then having it come out and then waiting at the bottom for a count. So all of these pieces of the waiting and the restricting of the airflow of the breath become ways in which we start to increase the carbon dioxide level in the breath. And through doing that, the oxygenation levels will start to naturally shift. One of the ways you can really notice that, of course, is, is the, the place of what's called eucapnic breathing, something which was brought to our attention by a Russian uh, researcher, Konstantin Buteko, said that if you focus more on the carbon dioxide, and particularly with practices of stopping the breath and waiting for the urge to breathe, that you start getting an increase of the appropriate levels of oxygen in people who through asthma or other chronic um, pulmonary uh, obstructive disorders are going to have, uh, have trouble with their breathing, that it actually helps all that reactivity both in the bronchioles, it helps them open up more with the carbon dioxide buildup, but also with the muscles of breathing, it sends messages to them to breathe more. So coming to a place where you don't just join with the places where your breathing is restricted, but to actually enhance that by hanging out in a place at the bottom of your breath, at the top of your breath, or some place where you notice as your breath comes in, it, it catches somewhere in the middle of your breathing, and to just have that as your hanging out place kind of a little bit of a mix of noticing where your breath gets restricted and then enhancing that a little bit more. And you can do the same thing internally, like if you found that place in your, in your body's uh, tension, 
where there was a restriction in your breathing and then just really felt into that and said, here's about the place in my breathing cycle where I can really feel that place more. Let me just hang out there for a little bit. And what you're looking for is the place where you start to get a little bit breath hungry. So it might not be for so long at the beginning. It's not like we're holding our breath and counting out. We're waiting for the urge to breathe. And when that urge to breathe comes, to allow our breath to have itself. And often, like if you held a ball under the water, it's going to bob to the surface and maybe even break surface a bit. And then it's going to sort of come to where it naturally floats in the water. And your, your breath will do that in its first response. You might notice that if, as you release it from holding it. Is that, ah, oh, there's a bigger breath really wants to come without any real effort. And if you couldn't wait that long, maybe the breath isn't that satisfying that comes out, but it's a little bit like being a surfer that maybe you went too fast. You picked a wave that wasn't quite the right one and you could have waited a little bit longer that you perhaps you were influenced by your anxieties, your old habits about, oh, I can't wait this long for a breath and just come around patiently and go, well, let's see what happens this time. And to find the place where your breath might just want to hang out for a bit and hang out with it at its stopping place. And then when you feel that urge this time, perhaps it's at a place where the wave of breath is a little bit more. If, you, if you're sitting at the top of your breath, you might be surprised to notice that all of a sudden there's an increase of breath. It goes even more or that at a certain point it's like, ah, oh, and now I can really breathe out and it's much fuller out breath. But the breath cycle, the respiratory cycle, starts to rebalance itself. And two things are going to happen is that with the increase in carbon dioxide from the waiting, you'll tend to notice that everything relaxes. The bronchioles tend to open up, the muscles that are involved in breathing tend to relax, be a little less effortful from your diaphragm, through your chest, through your back, through your neck muscles, through your shoulders. And also that there's a calming effect that starts to happen. And in balance with this calming effect, as more oxygen is allowed to move into your system, because now there's more carbon dioxide to balance it, you might also notice that there's a bit of a clearing of your mind. That you start to notice that, oh, I can actually open my consciousness a bit. It's a little less fuzzy. That is a direct relationship to having that increase of oxygen availability. And so in the balancing of carbon dioxide and oxygen, we start to feel a balancing of our functionality in the world where we can be more present and more able to act at the same time through that kind of relaxed place that we have more energy available to us. So this way of being with the physiology of the body gives us places to engage ourselves. Whether you're noticing your breath just as it is in this moment, whether you enhance that by starting to notice surfaces externally, such as a chair, 
or something that you touch. Noticing the way in which your muscles start to want to move more intelligently to serve the deepening of that touch and how they ask your breathing to start to shift, to be more present to that. To noticing internally the actual functioning, the sensations of your breathing and not just how it is in this moment or how it wants to change, but where those edges are around its restrictions. And through being present to that, you can start to allow your mind to find the edges of engagement that keep it there in its being present mode, where it doesn't escape into the thinking about something that is not here in this moment, that allow it to process in a way that how I need to be with those things I'm thinking about might become just a little bit more apparent as they get processed at a deeper level within us, as it's served by a deeper, fuller, embodied response to those things that are constantly gnawing at our awareness, the anxieties, the things not done yet, things not done properly in the past, that we start to be able to feel ourselves there and able to be more present to them by engaging and allowing our breath to engage in a more intelligent way with body awareness, with awareness of surfaces and it's a grounding effect, with the awareness of movement and its stimulus increase that happens and the awareness of breathing and how it intersects and balances that information so that we can be more fully present to how we need to be with what's happening, with what we're touching, how we're moving and engaging with it in this moment in our life. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you want to know more about The Embodiment Project, our other podcasts, blogs, and articles, you can find us at somatics.ca. That's S-O-M-A-T-I-C-S dot C-A. Until next time.